Thank you, Jody, and thank you, team. Hope that uh, that race goes really well. You run the race that's marked out before you. That's great. Well, I love Pastor Calvin. He is so excited. But sometimes he gets on African time. And he thinks that we have two more Sundays in, in uh, this year. We only have one more. So uh, we want to encourage you to, um, if you didn't get a chance to give, um, that you would uh, think about that the rest of this week. And, and I want to just tell you, I read something this week. We, we, we don't give because the church has needs. We give because God wants us to. And uh, I encourage you to, to think about that. The other thing I just want to make mention of that Pastor Calvin said, he was so excited that he, he mentioned that Paul Robinson had died. And I think I saw Paul Robinson here today. He's right over there. So uh, it's actually Paul Richardson, okay? And uh, so you could be praying for Joan. And uh, Paul, and we love you. I know it's better to be with Jesus. But um, we're glad you're still here with us, Okay. So, anyways, there's that announcement. <laughs> well, I've got to be honest. After 14 years of pastoral ministry, and um, there's been times where I've preached messages, and it's been the late hour as I've wrestled through God's Word, and I thought, you know, God, you've got you to gotta come on power with, come, come and fill me with your power, with your spirit to be able to preach uh, your Word, and He's always come through for me. And, um, however, as I have spent weeks on end working through this message, and uh, I got up, I was up at 4.30 this morning, up late last night, I've been working on this message, it just doesn't feel anointed by the Holy Spirit, if I could put it that way. I have a whole bunch of words here, okay? But um, I'm just going to let this go, and I'm going to ask right now that you would take time to pray. And you would ask God to speak through you. And then I'm going to start preaching. Okay? So uh, if you would just ask God to, to speak to you through me and uh, through his word, I would really appreciate it. Father God, I know that um, when uh, Jesus told the parable of the sower, that he sowed out, the sower throws out God's word, um, that the soil has to be ready to hear. And so, Lord, I think your people who, who show up on a boxing day are ready to hear your word. And Lord, um, as I've worked through, seeing if there's any sin in my life, seeing if there's any obstacles, Lord, I feel like I've worked hard. Um, but yet, I, I don't want to speak your words, or my words, Lord. I want to speak your word. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, take, take your word and make it alivened into our lives. Make it, make it true and make it um, so, uh, so relevant. And so, Father, I pray today that you would help me, as your humble servant, to preach in such a way that it's full of the Holy Spirit. Not with eloquence, but with, um, with words that are beyond me. And so I just pray this in, in your matchless and mighty name. God's people said, amen. Well, today is, uh, is Boxing Day. And uh, usually two things happen on Boxing Day. The first is you uh, either go and take back the gifts that you didn't really want, right? Or 
you uh, go and get the gifts that your family and friends forgot to get to you on, you know, the Christmas day, and so we get those discount specials. Now, I'm wondering how you made out yesterday. Are you happen to take any gifts? I'm not going to even show, get a show of hands if you've already taken back some gifts today, or you went out and got the boxing special like this. You know, these guys got up early in the morning and ran out to get some gifts. My question for you today is, did you get what you wanted this Christmas? Did you get what you wanted this Christmas? You know, Christmas can be a, kind of a, a difficult time. In fact, the day after Christmas can be kind of a downer. Uh, you know what, I want to tell you today that if you're kind of feeling a little bit discouraged, think about Jesus. He can relate. Imagine this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in eternity past. They knew that they would create this universe. They knew that they would create human beings, that they would create you, and that someday that human beings would rebel against God, rebel against his authority and against his kingship. And so they set in a plan in motion that instead of just staying up in heaven, that they would come down to earth through Jesus Christ. And that that would happen through a virgin, a young girl by the name of Mary. And so one day that happened through Jesus coming and being conceived of the Holy Spirit through Mary. And, you know, I can just, I can just imagine God the Father fashioning and forming Jesus in Mary's womb. And then Jesus takes a bumpy ride from Nazareth down to, to Bethlehem, up and down those hills, up and down those hills. And then there's a, a great myriad of angels that come and, and announce his birth. They say, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. Jesus must have been thinking, wow, this is, this is amazing. You know, I'm going to my hometown. I'm, um, I'm being uh, announced by angels, better than any kind of musical, even that Calvary can put on. We put on a couple years ago, or a couple weeks ago. And then, um, then we find out that, uh, as we read the, 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 the Christmas story, that some, some shepherds, they take some time off work. And they go and they recognize Jesus. We find out that Jesus is, is recognized and worshipped. He even has a Christmas kind of party afterwards. And the, uh, the Magi come and they, they come and worship him and they bring gifts to Jesus. So if you think about it, all these things that happened so long ago at the first Christmas, we continue to repeat. We go to our hometown. Lori and I just got back from Kansas, Lori's hometown. We, uh, we give gifts. We sing songs. We worship, we worship Jesus. But then there's the day after. And what did Jesus do after Christmas? What did he do after Christmas? He went somewhere really, really hot. He went where there was lots of sand. Where there was palm trees. Right? Now, before some of you, you know, get on your smartphone and think, oh, I got to get my plan, my next vacation, going somewhere sunny. I just want to remind you that, that lots of times when we feel this way after Christmas and wondering, I didn't really get all that I wanted for Christmas, that we need to examine our lives. We need to start thinking about what, what God really wants for us. 
and how he wants to return us to a place that will really establish a fellowship of Jesus. See, I think often we don't get what we want because we forget what uh, is all important. And we lose sight of things. I, I, I know yesterday was a little bit of a struggle for us at our, our house. For months on end, our two-year-old son, Luke, he uh, has been watching his older brother, Josiah, play hockey. And, um, uh, you know, all through these, these last couple of months, all he's been saying, I'd be a goalie someday. I'd be a goalie someday. And so Lori and I were shopping. And uh, we decided, as we were shopping, I saw this, this little goalie you know, equipment bag that you could get. And um, so, guess what? We bought it for him. And yesterday, he opened it. And so, you know what? I, I opened it up for him. He's only two. And I, you know, I took out the mask here. And um, I took out the, um, the pads, put them on him. And uh, then I, just leave that right there, yeah. And then I uh, took out the, um, the glove the blocker, and I put it all on him. And after two months of almost every day saying, I want to be the goalie, he put it on him, and guess what he said? I don't want to be the goalie anymore. (laughs) I don't like it, Daddy. You know, sometimes we, uh, so we're taking this back to Toys R Us. (laughs) And sometimes we... We, we think we want something for Christmas and we, we get the wrong thing. And as I've thought about that, it's probably for three reasons, three obstacles that maybe you didn't get exactly what you wanted this Christmas. I think the first reason is sometimes we deceive ourselves. We don't ask for what we really want. We, we write down a list, and, but we don't really tell them exactly what we want because well, we don't want to ask for too much. And sometimes we do that with God, too. We don't fully ask, full out, God, this is what I really want. I'll tell you what I was wanting for Christmas. I was wanting a sermon. Um, <laughs> and I, I believe God's going to answer that today for you. I think the second obstacle that we often struggle with to find um, what we really want at Christmas is that we, we end up denying, living in denial. You know, sometimes... Um, This happens especially if one of your wishes at Christmas, one of your big desires, was that you would have a peaceful Christmas. That there would be no fighting at the dinner table with the family. And all that stuff that was in the past would just go away. We kind of of lay it aside and we deny it. And so that's the second obstacle, I think, finally, that often we we face when we're trying to, um, to get what we want out of Christmas. Reality is we never went and tried to seek reconciliation and forgiveness with those people. And I think that's, that's really important. The third, third thing that, um, obstacle that I see that really causes us to not get what we want for Christmas is that often, and I'll be the first to say, often I think of myself before others. In fact, we think of others before ourselves. We're selfish. So I don't know about you if that's some of the things that maybe you're wrestling with. Maybe you, didn't, maybe you got everything you wanted for Christmas. Maybe you're joyous, like Pastor Calvin. I'm guessing there's some here, as I just talked today, some of you, that you're like, wow, Christmas isn't all it turned out to be. 
Well, if that's you, I want you to find encouragement from God's word. In fact, I want you to find encouragement from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and we start in verse 13. We'll read what Jesus did. I said earlier that he went to somewhere really nice and sunny and warm. And here's where he went. He went to Egypt. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13, says this. When they had gone, meaning the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Remember the first thing I said that was an obstacle to us getting all that we we desired at Christmas? Well, the first obstacle of, of, um, of... being deceiving ourselves and and not fully asking for what we really want can be overcome by how Jesus lived. Where did Jesus go? He went to Egypt. Now, think about that for a second. That is a very strange place to go, to Egypt. Why? Because Egypt in the Bible always represented slavery. But it just didn't uh, represent slavery. There's something that happened before slavery. It represented deception. See, the first time that we encounter, we encounter Egypt in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 12. And uh, in that, that story in Genesis chapter 12, we encounter Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, you know, they're, they're, they've encountered a famine, and so they, they head down to Egypt. They think this is the place where we get some food. This is where we can get some sustenance. And yet Abraham looks over and says, like, Sarah, I'll kind of paraphrase here, you're really hot. And, um, you know, I'm afraid that some of these Egyptian boys are going to be uh, really interested in you. And they're going to kind of want to off me. And so um, I think, uh, think it would be best if you just kind of just tell them you're my sister. Now, I don't know how that would have gone over for Abraham. But she went along with it, which I don't know exactly how that happened. But you know, I, know, I know if I try to tell Lori that, that probably wouldn't go really well for me. But um, in this case, we find Abraham and, and Sarah. And, and she goes along with it. And so she ends up in Pharaoh's household and uh, in, in his harem. And all of a sudden it says in Genesis chapter 12, you can read this for yourself, that a plague comes on Pharaoh's household. And Pharaoh finds out, you know what, I've been deceived. Now, God protected Abraham through that. But it starts out with deception in Egypt. The next encounter we find with deception in Egypt is Joseph's brothers. See, uh, Joseph had 11 brothers. And um, he was the favorite. He was the daddy's boy. And uh, 
you know, he made some mistakes about, you know, kind of telling how he was the favorite and how God was going to bless him. And so this kind of really got under his brother's skin. And so they, um, they came to, uh, to Joseph one time when, when he was kind of alone. And they said, this is our chance to get him back. We'll kill him. We'll throw him in a pit. And so they did. And, and some of the older brothers said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we just throw him in a pit and he just left there to die or kill him, why don't we, why don't we make some money on this and we can sell him into slavery? And so what they did was they, they devised a plan. They sold their brother Joseph into slavery for 30 pieces of silver. And then they went and they deceived their father and said, oh, a wild animal must have, must have got him. Egypt always represents deception. Fast forward 400 years. During those 400 years, actually, Joseph's family had been enslaved in Egypt. See, that's what always happens with deception. When we don't tell the truth, it it ends up enslaving us. Maybe you're just at that point right now where you are about to have this this crossroads. Are you going to tell the truth or not? Well, that's a choice, slavery or not. Fast forward those 400 years with Joseph's family, and we find that, that uh, once again, uh, there's a time of deception. Moses is raised up. He's actually living in Pharaoh's palace, and he was kind of one of those, those, um, those baby boys who was rescued from the Nile River, and he grew up and was adopted into Pharaoh's household. And um, one day he, he realizes that he is a part of the Israelite family. And he sees that one of his homeboys, one of the Israelites, were, were um, getting picked on. And so he takes matters in his, in his own hands and he, he kills that Egyptian taskmaster who was picking on one of, his, one of his family members. He kills him and then he covers him up. He thinks no one saw this. Next day, he's outed. He's exposed, and people now want to kill him, and he has to flee Egypt. So when you look at this, this passage in Matthew chapter 2 of Jesus going down to Egypt, you're like, wow, why, why would Jesus go down to, to Egypt? It's the place of slavery. It's the place of deception. I want to remind you today that God is always able to overcome all obstacles. His return policy is always about truth. And so what he does is he lives in such a way that he continues to follow God. And we see that in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 2, And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Prophecy is fulfilled. There's truth. There's truth that God um, makes real into people's lives and into Jesus' life, and into Mary's life, and into Joseph's life. And that's good news for us. Because the way of overcoming deception is always truth. Jesus became the truth. I think it's very interesting that the first time that Jesus was called was not when he was in the baptismal tank, but when he was in Egypt, when he was in the land of slavery. Jesus came into the sinfulness of slavery and was able to bring about truth. And, and overcome through deception. And he didn't get tainted by the sin. He didn't get tainted by the slavery. That was so often the case. See, this quote in Matthew chapter 2 is actually from Hosea chapter 11. And in Hosea chapter 11, it says this. 
When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. And they sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. It says, I led them with cords of human kindness and with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. You know, maybe today you find yourself in that place of slavery. You've deceived yourself. You haven't, you've, you've been thinking, you, you really wanted this, but in life, maybe it was money, maybe it's power, maybe it's pleasure. But in reality, you realize that that, that's, that's, that game is not uh, turning out as you wanted. Jesus is coming down into your situation. He's coming into Egypt, and he is wanting to rescue you from that with his truth. With his truth. To fulfill prophecy. To make it true in your life. That's what God does. He often even protects us when we have deceived ourselves. He's so good. You know, um, one of the things that I noticed in this passage in Matthew chapter 2 was when the Magi came and worshipped Jesus. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Can you imagine that? Those many expensive gifts that were given to God out of worship. And what does God do with that? Well, D.A. Carson says that the gifts that the Magi given were probably used to actually provide for Jesus and his family in Egypt. I love that. That God uses our worship to provide for his family and for others and our giving to him. And even when we're in the land of slavery in Egypt, God will take care of us if we will recognize him. God so many times has rescued me from such awful situations. Just a couple weeks ago, um, Lori and I were a little deceptive in something. We, we saw across the street, we saw uh, that our neighbors are just moving out. And that uh, they had put a cabinet at the, at the, um, at the curb. And uh, we looked across, and they had just left, and we thought, this is our chance. And so we, we ran over, we grabbed the cabinet, we kind of looked both ways, made sure that none of our neighbors thought we were kind of those, those kind of, well, people. And um, <laughs> we, we drag it across, we put it in our garage. And our, our garage is full of stuff. And uh, then I, I left, and I took the boys to, to hockey. And... Um, Meanwhile, Lori was at home, and um, she started to smell something. And uh, she smelled something burning. And so she went inside, and she wondered if she had left the stove on. And uh, no, no, the stove wasn't on. So she went out to the garage. And um, she looked, and there was our barbecue. And it was, the cover was starting to turn brown. And she ran down there, and what had happened was, when we had put that cabinet in our garage, I accidentally hit the barbecue, and it turned on. And uh, it was on fire. And so she quickly threw things off, and she couldn't get the knobs to turn off. I forgot to actually unplug it for some reason, and uh, to the, the, the gas tank. And, um, and she finally got it off. And uh, there was no greater damage done. Just above that garage, though, was where our little two-year-old son, the man who wanted to be the goalie, was sleeping. 
And I often think about the fact that sometimes in our haste and in our hurry and our deception, you know, God rescues us from those difficult situations, doesn't he? And that's what Jesus did. He went down to Egypt. He, he came to this place of, of deception and, and slavery. And he lived in such a way that wasn't tainted, but he overcame. That's part of the gospel. It's part of the gospel today. Well, the second obstacle that we face when we're looking for things for Christmas is that we, we often want to, um, to uh, we often deny ourselves. And the interesting part about this story in Matthew is that, that um, Jesus didn't live in denial. If you notice after he left Egypt, it says this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said to the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Now what I find strange is, first of all, God takes Jesus down to Egypt. And I think that is explained by Jesus overcoming the deception and actually fulfilling the truth of the scriptures. But then God takes him to Nazareth. Now Nazareth was one of these kind of backwater places. You know, in fact, in the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' first disciples, when they encounter Jesus and hear that he's from Nazareth, they said, Nathaniel says in, in John chapter 1, verse 24, he says this, What good can come from Nazareth? And Nazareth was always a place of disdain. It was one of those backwater places. One of those places you're like, you're like, oh, you know, we're big city people. We don't go to Nazareth. But see, Nazareth was even more for Jesus. Jesus, by going back to Nazareth, he just didn't have to overcome some of the, you know, the humble beginnings. Pulling himself up with the bootstraps and making himself amazing. Now, that's not, the, that's not the lesson that we actually learned from Nazareth. For Jesus and his family, Joseph and Mary, to go back to Nazareth, he had to actually deal with his past. He had to go right into the situation where everybody had accused him of, well, being born as illegitimate. Can you imagine that? Going to your hometown after people had probably thought very um, ill of you and... Um, you know, as we've, we've, we know the story of Mary and Joseph, that there was a real good chance that Mary herself would have even been stoned for being pregnant out of wedlock. But yet, that's exactly where God calls Joseph, Mary, and Jesus to go back to, to Nazareth. And I think one of the lessons we find from going back to Nazareth is that unlike us who usually try to avoid our past and live in denial, Jesus doesn't do that. He enters into that. And how does he do that? Well, he overcomes denial by faithfulness. Think about this. His family had left Egypt. They go back to, to Nazareth. And what happens? It's not like he's able to, to go to Nazareth and say, Guess what? I'm going to show you that, um, that uh, I'm this powerful, amazing person. You know what happens in Nazareth? For all of his days, probably for the next 20 years, he lives very quietly. He lives very faithfully. 
But the people of Nazareth, they never got it. In fact, later on when Jesus starts his public ministry, uh, when he goes actually back to his hometown of Nazareth, he starts to try to do miracles there. He's not able to do the miracles because it says that they did not have much faith. They're like, hmm, don't we know who you are? You're, you're Joseph's son, the carpenter. We know where you, you came from. And yet Jesus lived in Nazareth for those 20 years out of faithfulness. And so I would encourage you today, maybe you need to not avoid your past, whatever that is, but to, to enter back into it, to go back to those relationships and to live faithfully out. Even if people never get it, even if people never see fully who you are in Christ, God sees. He sees the faithfulness. And so you overcome denial through faithfulness. But see, there's one more part about this whole aspect about Jesus going back to Nazareth. See, Nazareth was not just something that Jesus could ever get rid of as far as a label. It says here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. A Nazarene. In fact, we Christians later on are called the sect of the Nazarene in Acts chapter 24, verse 5. Nazarene. You know, Nazareth was actually leading us to one other place. To feel it, finally deal with, with, with really what's going on in our lives. Instead of living sacrificially, uh, we usually live selfishly. And Nazareth has an important term for us and an important uh, relevance for us. Because if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18, I want to show you something. In John chapter 18, if we fast forward to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see something peculiar. This is the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And this is the chance for all of the religious leaders to come and finally take Jesus down. And in verse 4, it says this, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, the mobs come, what is it that you want? Or who is it that you want? And what do they say? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I, I always think that, that shows Jesus' power, his divinity. He finally discloses himself and says, I am, I, I am the, the great I am. I am that I am. Number seven, it says this. And Jesus said, again, he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. See, Nazareth was the place that Jesus would always be remembered for. It was the place of shame. It was the place where others would have avoided. Jesus didn't avoid that. He kept the label Nazareth. So much so that if you just turn your bio, your, in your Bibles one page over, we see that Jesus is hanging on a cross. And it says that in uh, John 19, verse 19, that there was a sign that was placed over Jesus' head. 
And what does that sign say? Most of us remember that it says that he was the king of the Jews. But this is what it really read. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of, what does it say? Nazareth, the king of the Jews. I want to remind you today that, that there's only one way to really get what you really want, but more importantly, what you really need at Christmas. That is following Jesus, who's the truth, who's the way, who lives out in faithfulness, and who's the life. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is calling you, in a sense, to your own Nazareth, to remember that there's times where you're going to have to, for his sake, live out faithfully before others, even if no one ever recognizes as God will. There's going to be times where you're going to have to live out the truth, in the midst of all the darkness and evil, and live in the power of Jesus Christ who overcomes all the slavery and deception in this world. And lastly, you need to remember, like Jesus, that you need to overcome the selfishness by putting others first, like Jesus did, who stretched out his arms and died on that cross for you. To bring this home, I want to conclude with a story that Eugene Peterson tells. Eugene Peterson uh, grew up in Montana, and out there in Montana, he, he remembers very well that uh, one of his favorite traditions was, you know, going with his dad, putting the chainsaw and cutting down the Christmas tree. And uh, they tried to, to search through the mountains and find the best Christmas tree. And he remembers this as a young boy. Well, one Christmas, just as about they were about to go out and get their Christmas tree, um, his mom, who was, who was a devout Christian, read from Jeremiah chapter 10. And um, this is what she read in her morning devotions. It says this, Do not learn the ways of the nations, or be terrified by signs in the sky, though the nations are terrified by them, for the customs of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold, and they fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. She read this from Jeremiah chapter 10. She says, Eugene, we cannot have a Christmas tree this Christmas. Did you, did you read this, what it says here in Jeremiah? It says we can't have a Christmas tree. And little, little Eugene, was, Eugene was like eight years old, and he's like, Why can't we have a Christmas tree? Because it's an idol. His mom says. And so, you know, he, 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 he realizes that he's not going to be able to convince his mom otherwise. And so what happens is um, that Christmas, it was just awful for him. He had no Christmas tree. He wouldn't invite his family or friends over, his neighbor boys, you know, because he'd be like, the neighbors would be like, well, why don't you have a Christmas tree? And well, because um, my mom read Jeremiah this year, you know. It's like totally embarrassing, right? So, um, what happens is uh, he has no Christmas tree and family come over, you know, and, and he, they always have to explain, why don't you have a Christmas tree? Well, you know, this is what it says in Jeremiah. And it was such a difficult Christmas for him. Well, as Eugene Peterson is reflecting on this many, many years later, in fact, after his mother died, he realized that actually, though his mother totally misinterpreted Scripture, 
that it was actually a real gift for him to remember that Christmas was not all about hmm, this adorning this amazing tree. But it was really about overcoming shame. And that it actually led to the fact that there was another tree where Jesus was humiliated, where Jesus was hung on a cross to overcome all the deception, all the denial, and all the selfishness. So that we might live in the same power and strength that he did. And so today, I want you to think about that. The only way to overcome and uh, live in such a way that Christmas is not lost on us, that we would move towards a righteousness that only comes from God, that we would overcome our deception through the truth of God's word, that we would overcome any denial we have of avoiding our past and entering into it and living faithfully, and that we would overcome our shame and our selfishness by living in the power and strength of God who put others first and denied himself even to death on a cross. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, that today your message would be clear. That we would fall in the way of our Master and Lord and the King of Kings, Jesus. Who amazingly went down paths that were unexpected, who were difficult, so that we might be saved. And Lord, it's not just that we're saved, that we can continue on and live in a way that follows his kingdom and his path. And so, Father, we we want to remember the cross right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The roads that God takes you are often so unexpected. He takes you to places like Egypt. takes you to places like Nazareth. Places where many have stumbled. Many have felt much shame. But he comes and he rescues that. Today, God's word for us is that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. From Bethlehem to Egypt to Nazareth to the cross, Jesus was obedient and he followed God's plan. So be encouraged, my brothers and sisters. Follow God's plan. Let him him take you into places that you never thought and overcome through truth, through faithfulness, through sacrifice. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the example that he, he gave. But he just wasn't an example. He actually made life and salvation available for us. And so Father, may we do so too. In the power and strength of his mighty name, God's people said, Amen.